0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to a very special episode, a bonus episode. Today, we are dropping my conversation with MMA legend, UFC Hall of Famer, former UFC heavyweight champion, former Pancrase champion, Boss Rutten. The man who has his hands in pretty much every part of MMA, uh, from colored commentating to, uh, again, fighting to coaching. I mean, he's pretty much done it all within the sport and we are talking to him about many different topics including his uh, his association with Strike Force you got to call some of their events he coached fighters that fought inside the hexagon uh, we also talk about Fedor a lot we also talk surprisingly about Mike Tyson's current training for his fight with Roy Jones Jr. Boss has been there for a few of his training sessions so we talk about where Tyson is at how he expects that 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 the uh, the former heavyweight champion will be looking in his fight and what he might do you afterwards. It's a great uh, wide-ranging conversation. We talk about the importance or lack thereof of body type within MMA. There's just some Bob Sapp. There's just so much we get into. So without further ado, let's get to it. All right. On the line with us, we have MMA legend Boss Rutten, former UFC heavyweight champion, UFC Hall of Famer, three-time king of Pancrase, color commentator, coach, TV analyst, former podcaster, actor. I mean, Anything you don't do, boss? Oh,
1: I don't know. Uh, sexy dancing, I don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> Mike are, <triplex. laughs> are you are
0: are you a reverend yet, or anything? You know, like anything else that you na- that you got your? Oh, uh...
1: no, no, I did marry two people, you know. I, okay, I gotta... well
0: there you go, there you go. Some so... some on some plane, you're you're a reverend in in some way. <laughs> yeah. so. Well, I appreciate you being on the show with us today. I, I want to jump right in. Uh, you had, a, of course, a very, very decorated career, but once you got, you know, you retired, you got into coaching, uh, one of your protégés, Dwayne Bang Ludwig, he fought for Strikeforce several times. Uh, in fact, he actually headlined a card early on in the history of the promotion. What were your thoughts on Strikeforce when you heard about the new promotion? Were you familiar with Scott Coker at that time?
1: Yeah, yeah, I was uh, familiar with Coca right from the right, right from the beginning. I mean, all the way back, uh, Shamrock Gracie, right? So, um, and, and and that was the biggest show ever, for what I understood at the time, especially. Maybe it was even the the first. A legal
0: fight thing it, what's it was it, it was the first sanctioned uh mma event in the in california of course they had the indian reservation fights and that sort of thing but it was the first sanctioned event and then it was had over eighteen thousand in attendance so it set yeah, yeah, the yeah. north american mma record at that time
1: nice yeah so no i always liked it i liked, always liked the uh, scott's promotion he's just a really good promoter and his shows were always top-notch
0: yeah, so he, I mean, obviously, you were involved with Pride at that time. You were a commentator there, which, uh, you know, I. it's honestly, I mean, we're talking about Strike Force. I used to work for Strike Force for, for a while, but honestly, my all time favorite promotion is, is Pride, of course. But Scott had a, had a great relationship, still has a great re- relationship with major Japanese MMA executives, which is why we still see fighters from Japan fighting Bellator as well as Bellator f- fighters in Ryzen. Uh, we also saw Coker do Grand Prix and tournaments, which are still popular in Japan even today. And, and kind of some of these circus style fights, which uh, we just covered the Bob the Beast sap versus Yan the Giant Norte uh, on the show, which was to me, reminded me of a pride style type main event. Did, did Strikeforce remind you of pride? Cause of the things I just laid out. Why are we not? Why or why not? What similarities did you see?
1: Well, um, uh just crazy matchup. Yes, of course, the tournament style. I really enjoyed that. Uh and of course, you know, once they got fader or Millionaire coming in there. And then this is so weird. I mean, fader did so well in Pride Fighting Championships. And I think he was a little bit past his prime once he went to to strike force. I believe he won the first one, Brad Rogers. And then he had three losses in his row. That's that's where he uh, started losing. Even Dan Henderson. The last time, I believe it was Dan Henderson. He correct. So, you know, but just to bring those people over, like you said, you know, you could tell that Scott had a lot to do with fighters from um, uh, from Japan and also the way he put shows together. So he was always looking for uh, not only skilled fighters, but, you know, just known fighters and fighters who are freaks in, in other areas.
0: Yeah, he, he definitely would employ those. And, and we, we saw some of those fights, which sometimes they turned out well and sometimes they didn't. But. You mentioned Fedor my my favorite all-time heavyweight I mean to me he's the GOAT as far as heavyweights go but uh, you mentioned him losing to Dan Henderson I was there the night he lost to uh, Fabricio Verdun, which just kind of broke my heart as far as an MMA fan goes what what other Strike Force moments stand out in your mind whether they were good or bad whether you were there or in per- uh, there in person or not kind of what sticks out in your mind when you think of Strike Force
1: Oh man, this is so hard. We, we, uh, we, we commentated a bunch on it at the time with HDNet, which later became Access TV. Right. Uh, and we did some uh, great shows. That's why we say uh, Daniel Cormier. We saw that for the first time. Jacare beat Lawler. Remember that? Luke Rockhold uh, fighting. Tim Kennedy at the time. I, I, he be, uh, he beat Tim Kennedy and he beat, oh, that was a tournament, I believe. Keith yeah. and And yep. Tim Kennedy. You see that, of course, Nick Diaz, I mean, What's not to like about Nick Diaz? Come Paul on. Daly. I mean, all these guys, they were freaking animals. You know, Nate Marquardt. I mean, look yeah. at him. He's been everywhere. He's been in a, a three-time Pancras middleweight champion also. And he became their champion as well. And he fought some great fights as well. Damien Maia, I believe, that he believed a bit. Uh, yeah. Uh, pretty much everybody, you know, all, all, these, all these tournament style. Uh, Overeem. I mean, Overeem coming in. And doing a freaking unbelievable job. I mean Brad Rogers had a knocking out or stop I,
0: no, he didn't. Did he stop Paul Buentello? Yes, uh, uh Alistair f- stopped Paul Buentello to win the uh, the the, in- the inaugural strike force heavyweight title. That's right.
1: Yeah, see, so so that was crazy. And Buentello, I always loved that guy, you know. He was Me too, was,
0: big fan. Oh yeah, always came to fight, doesn't matter who is
1: fighting, always liked that guy. So yeah, and Brad Rogers also, but Brett Rogers, I remember. Um, the perfect punch that dropped him was uh, Fedor. That was such a perfect pun. That, that was Strike Force, right? Yeah, that was Strike Force. That, that, not-
0: that was, yeah, it was Fedor's. He fought in a- Affliction a couple of times. He knocked out Arlovsky yeah. and Sylvia, and then he went into Strike Force. And and,
1: and, but, but the way, if you look at that fight, if you look at back, his hand is, you know, pretty much everybody has a little bit of a load up. Even if it's a little tiny bit, while, while you punch somebody, you know, you kind of load up a little tiny bit. He has zero load up in that. I mean, his hand was forward already. And then from that position, he punched and it was so hard. And so on the, on the money that he knocked him out with one shot. That was a, that was a really great moment for me.
0: Let let me, you, this isn't, I I wanted to ask you about this as well. This isn't really in my notes, but my co-host and I have been kind of talking about this. You brought up Buintello, We're talking about Fedor. These are two guys that don't look like they're not body guys. You know, they're not, these aren't guys that are going to be winning any, you know, uh, uh, weightlifting competitions or, you know, they're, they're they they do not look great from an aesthetic standpoint, but yet, especially Fader, obviously, you know, one of the greats. And, and like you said, Buantello was one of the guys that always brought it and all that stuff. How much do you, how much stock do you put in the way that a guy looks, you know, muscles, how cut he is, things like that. Does that matter to you at all? As far as a fighter goes Or is it just all about the performance and they can have a Roy Nelson style gut as long as they've got the gas tank and can go?
1: You know, there is a difference between the guys who lift weights and the guys who lift weights with uh, long repetitions, you know, endurance. And the guys who love lift just heavy weights, those are the bulky guys. And those bulky guys, that never really works in mixed martial arts. I mean, it takes too much oxygen. You're too slow. You know, there's something working against it. But all the other guys, if their physique looks... Uh, correct, and they come from a camp like, let's say, a Vandalay M- Silva, you know, from from shoot box or some some crazy camp where you know, they train very hard on on uh, endurance, endurance and power uh, mixed. Yeah, then you you can't tell. But normally, yeah, I don't look at uh, look at Piet- Petter. I mean, uh, the way he looks, uh, the, the the champ from the UFC right now, how uh, Jan Petter, how 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 he looks, he looks. There's no muscle in there almost. You don't see it. But boy, can he fight this number? Unbelievable... Oh, it is so crazy when you see that guy uh, start hitting. And, you know, all the way back when I was at um, uh, Chris Horodasky, right? I remember oh, yeah. the National Fight League. And, you know, and, and it was the first time that was um, his coach Sean Tompkins at the time. He said, oh, I'll bring a good guy. And then I saw him. I go, dude, there's a kid. He's like 14 or 15 years old. He look, At least he looks like it. He said, but just wait. And then he just annihilated, high kicked the guy, knocked him out, you know, and again, you know, you can tell by their body. <clears throat> and actually, a lot of fighters that I know who use a lot of weights, and I always told them, I say, it's so stupid to do that. You know, all that time, if you four times a week are an hour and a half wasting on weights, it's stupid. Use it for weight training that you're actually going to use in the fight. You know, high repetitions, high fast, so at least you do something for the fight. Otherwise, you just do four hours a week, 16 hours a month, you threw it away. The other guy, he trains fighting 16 hours extra a month. You know, that's that's a big difference. And I always tell them the example, Lukas Fedoromelianenko.
0: Yeah.
1: That's uh, George Barnett. I yep. mean, look at this guy. I mean, he's a freaking animal.
0: Yeah. <laughs> He never stops. The guy's got a gas tank that never ends. And and he doesn't look, he he could look like a very scary looking trucker, you know? Yeah. So, and he's,
1: he's got that heart uh, also. I remember against the, he was fighting against Krokov at the Pride Fighting Championships. And, uh, and you know, he was tired because he took the fight. It was an injury. It was, it, it, he didn't had a lot of way uh, time to train for it, but you know, his heart just pulled him through the freaking fight. I mean, he just kept on coming. I go, wow. Those fighters I respect a lot who are really tired, but their hearts, just pulls him through like dan henderson is one of those guys as well and frankie edgar you know guys like that they never stop even when they're tired
0: pretty amazing uh i, I did I, and also I, we can get off fedor in just a second although i could talk about him all day as a fighter but uh you know you mentioned that he beat, he knocked out rogers and then the the fabricio win. and i like i said i was there in person <laughs> i was actually there at cage side and it was like this Hushed roar is like the best way I can put it like this roar of silence like just people could not believe That Fedor just got now. I mean, we'd seen him, you know remember Fujita knocked him for a good one and You know, he came comes back like 30 seconds later and chokes him out Uh, Randleman one of your one of your favorites, you know dumped him on his head and he somehow survived that and got I mean Do you remember uh, going back to that? Do you remember? Kind of how you felt at that time thinking, man, that he's going to come out of this. And, and just what was your reaction after, uh, you know, he, he was done? You know, it was crazy.
1: I made a comment before when he fought Yoshi Kosaka and he was doing the same thing. He jumped himself and he fell down while he was raining down the ground and pound. Fedor uh, did that. And I said, this is a very dangerous situation against a real good fighter, but they will catch him in a triangle if he does that. That's literally exactly what I said. And then he did it against Verdum and he slept on that triangle. So, but that's for Doom, man. (laughs) Everybody makes a mistake, you know, and Feder just made a mistake that evening. It's like you said, you know, to me also, he's one of the greatest of all times. I mean, those losses to me don't count because there was a lot of these losses who were past his prime, you know, but when he was in his peak, I mean, the amount of destruction that he did at fighting Championships, he was just an animal, you know, and then the nicest guy outside of as well, you know, that just has a really... You know you're attracted to people like that.
0: Yeah, yeah. If he was a a monster in and out of the cage, I don't think I'd be as big of a fan of his. But, yeah, hard hard to hard to knock him from everything I've heard as far as his character and all that stuff. But uh, but yeah, let's let's jump back into to Strikeforce a little bit. You mentioned the heavyweight Grand Prix. That was quite an undertaking, and it was very exciting for me. I, I was working for Strikeforce at that time, but even as a fan, that was such an exciting thing what did I, I've seen just online I, I know you did some previews of that and that sort of thing what did you think of the tournament did you think it would work in in North America were you excited about that anybody stick out in your mind as I don't think anybody had Daniel Cormier picked to, to win that fight that tournament at that time who kind of who was in your mind as, as as the favorite uh yeah everybody was talking to me
1: about Daniel Cormier already they say he's like Kay Velasquez you know this is an animal the guy went to the Olympics he's a really good wrestler so I kind of knew that this guy and, we, and like you said we interviewed him before as well so I heard about what he did in his past but still you know you you never know until you really see it um yeah I didn't I, I don't know who I had as a
0: favorite who were in it again oh man yeah. i that's I, I know uh Barnett was in it um I think croak because they I know they had some changes around uh, around with it so let me uh you know what as I as I brought that up let me I know I threw you kind of a curveball there let me kind of look that up and see what the uh what the, um, you know who it was basically that was in that because obviously that was a pretty oh you know what I got it here we go sorry Arnold uh, was also see. right
1: Barnett
0: yeah Barnett was in it and oh you know what my guy this is actually a different thing all right let me let me look it up and I'll 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 come yeah, back I, to that because I, I, I do want to get sure
1: he, he beat uh, Harry uh, Haritanov that's what, you
0: know yeah I think yeah Haritanov was in it I f- I want to I thought Krokop was supposed to be in it and then ended up not. Uh, not being in it, I'm, tr- I'm trying to remember going back in my mind who was in it. Uh, Coker actually showed me the the lineup at the at the time, but it actually ended up kind of changing. So it's kind of it's hard to go back to that and try to remember exactly but, you know, um, um who was. Yeah, who was I'm pretty honest.
1: sure that uh, I uh, had uh, Barnett as the favorite. You know, but, yeah, and there okay. was no way that I thought that uh, Barnett was going to lose to Daniel Cormier. That's what I I never. Yeah, because
0: they went they were in the, they ended up being in the final. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, and I, Overeem was supposed to be in it, but he ended up uh, not, saying that he was injured at the time, so he was not able, and then Cormier actually replaced Overeem. So there was, that's kind of the hard part about this. There was a lot of changes to it, but yeah, but Cormier ended up beating uh, Bigfoot and then advancing, and Barnett beat Heritanov and ended up advancing, and that's how they got into the oh, final. Oh, man, I so. talking about Bigfoot is,
1: and Fedor, remember that.
0: Oh, oh, yeah. that's crazy. Yeah. That yeah. was just see that was a totally different fight for me as far as uh him versus uh Fabricio goes cuz I mean Big Bigfoot just beat on him and that was the first time that I felt like I'd seen him just really getting beat on and me thinking man they got to like stop this like this this isn't you know he Fedor would take shots for sure but that one was just to me that I, my memory serves that was a pretty brutal fight yeah. you know that yeah. but
1: but Anyways. It was great, but it's a spectacle, you see, that's what I mean that Those were the kind of fights that you saw at the Pride Fighting Championships as well So Goker had a lot of that same kind of style
0: Yeah, absolutely, and and he still, you know, we still see kind of those quote-unquote legends fights We don't see them as much as we used to, but, you know, bringing back Shamrock and Gracie And, you know, he's, he's done a lot of those types uh, Tito's, you know, fought obviously several times into his 40s for them so he, he does kind of like to bring back the legends and do kind of these uh, as much you know obviously they have to be sanctioned and all that stuff so you're never going to see the you know minoa versus uh bob sap or you know any of those types of fights at least in a sanction yeah, event so <laughs> but uh but yeah uh, all right so but so talking about those a little bit more do you think I, I again they can't really happen in north america because of the commissions and that sort of thing but in Japan, you can still do those, and I, I think we still see some of those fights. Is there room in MMA for those circus style fights that Pride popularized? Again, we talked about Sap versus Yan uh, Norte in this Strike Force event that you know it's almost 700 pounds of, of, of well, I don't want to say muscle, but of, of man in the cage against each other in what was a pretty, pretty bad fight. Uh, but it was still, again, kind of like one of those, it's going to draw eyeballs because of the circus style. You know, a matchup that it was Is there room, is there a place for those kind of fights In MMA today, or should we really be sticking To the real straight comp- competitive fights?
1: No, I, I think there's room for As long as people, you know They have to be a realis- realistic, you know If you get a big, let's say, football player out you know, and suddenly he fights in a, a better fight. Well, you know, there's probably going to be a slaughter. And, you know, it, it's as long as i are the same weight. Like, they can never put fights on like they did in Japan. Like you said, Minimo fights a guy who's forget, 300 pounds heavier than him. You know, you can't do that here in America because there's rules here. You know, but as long as the guys are, are at least in the same shape and the Atlantic Commission uh, approves it, I'm okay for it. I just don't think it's good to constantly do it. But here and there, I, I always enjoy a fight like that.
0: Okay. Yeah. Which I agree with you. I, I, I did like those for, you know, when like Hong man Choi fought Fedor, you know, seven, two versus like five eleven or whatever. I mean, I, they're from, it's just interesting, you know, it's interesting, but on flip side, those fights almost never actually pan out into really good fights, you know? Yeah. So that's kind of the, the tough part of it. Um, well- I want, yeah, but for
1: go ahead. The first time we saw Bob Sepp against Nogueira, I thought Bob Sepp did a phenomenal job. I mean, he survived like nine minutes or something. I don't remember anymore the time we were there. It was that Dynamite show, the open air, 91 and a half thousand people. And I go, man, we're going to hear a lot from Bob Sepp. But then Bob, I think, got more attracted. They put him in so many things like Eclipse and in interviews and constantly. And it really was hurting his training. And uh, that, but because... The first fight, I mean, what you remember? He pile drives Nogera into the ground. I literally we right. were in the cemetery. I thought we have our first death here now. Right. I mean, <laughs> right. Up pile up with his body weight, and Nogera just like Vader, you know, doesn't give a crap. And two minutes later, got him in an armbar. You know, I mean, that 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 was cool stuff. So I thought we were going to hear from him a lot, and then especially after a host when he <laughs> beat the the host. How did he beat him? Well, he beat cut him, him twice. Him- he actually beat him twice. Twice? Yeah. But- the one time he hit him just on his gloves and the own gloves, so the host cut his own eyes and then they stopped the fight, <laughs> you know. But it was freaking a the host, yeah, Mr. Perfect. So he was guide. I went out to dinner with him one time in Japan because I was training him. Uh, while training him, he had 10 days training with me. But the one day he was there it was for the fight against the Miracle Crocop. And I told him, I said, Don't do these interviews, man. Crocop has a picture of you on his boxing bag, you're gonna have a problem, you know. This guy <laughs> is a murderer, you know? <laughs> but then. Um, He had to do all these uh, interviews and all that stuff. But anyway, we were eating at the restaurant. And I remember two people at the front window, they saw him and they stopped. And that became, um, if I say there were like 150 people outside, I'm not even exaggerating. We had to leave the back door. They had to let us out because one person would see him. You could not walk on the street with Bob Sapp. Everybody knew that guy.
0: Mm. Yeah, we... (laughs) And I'll, you mentioned Crow Cop. You remember when they fought in kickboxing and he, and you rem, I'm sure you remember the end of that fight. Cause it's your, your favorite, your, uh, your, your signature call, the, uh, the liver shot. He got the, the, that left liver shot in and, and, uh, and Sap just like crumpled and, you know, fell to the mat. And that was it. But I, you know, I Sap, like he's one of, and you know, don't no, no disrespect to him as a person. I don't know him obviously, but I just felt like, especially later on, cause he had a nine and two record we're, we're talking about this. He headlined the strike force fight his only strike force event that he ever did. It was his North American MMA debut. He, he just folds in like 55 seconds. And that was the beginning of really of the end of him as a real viable MMA fighter. And it just seemed like he just gave up. Like he, it, it seemed yeah. like any type of uh, adversity in the, in the ring or the cage and he would just fold. And, and I just really came to just not have much respect for him as a, as a fighter and maybe it was all the interviews. And I mean, like you said, he was an absolute mega star in Japan. I mean, he had, yep. he cut a music album in Japan. I don't know if it was any good, but he actually made it made an album. So, I mean, he was a massive, massive star. So it sounds like that's what got to him, but I, I just, it's hard for me to really find a lot of respect for somebody yep. that just kind of gives up, you know?
1: Yeah. So no, for me too, I, and, and, and talking about the star, I remember his high school book, you know, with all the pictures in it from the whole high school, they sold yeah, the for yearbook dollars 25, yeah. $25,000 in Japan. My I go, God. dude, if I would have known that, I would have let go to a printer, print like 50 <laughs> of them <laughs> and sell
0: it for only 10,000. <laughs> <laughs> Capitalism at its finest. <laughs> All right. Um, well, I, I want to ask you a couple. Just based on your involvement with MMA as a coach and then as a as a kind of a color commentator, a, a, if a fighter could master only one martial art in today's MMA, you know, we we've I know you talked you used to talk about in pride that I, I believe that you thought wrestling was probably the the best base to have. But but if and you can correct me if I'm wrong on that, my memory may be wrong on that. But what if if in today's MMA world? if you could only train one martial art to be really especially proficient at, which one do you think would be the most important?
1: Um, Yeah, yeah it's a hard question because what I always said in practice, I, uh, wrestling is the glue that holds everything together. So you're either a really good striker and a good wrestler or you're a really good crowdfighter and a good wrestler. So now if I have to make a choice to one, I'm looking at guys like Damian Maya, and I'm saying I go with Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. The only reason I'm okay. saying that is, but then, but... They need to have good takedowns, of course. Yeah. You see, because if you cannot take it to the ground, if you're fighting a wrestler, but you then, but you see, if you just fight a wrestler, that's good. But a wrestler with hands, but then again, that is two styles combined. You see what I mean? So yeah. If it, so, so it's very hard to leave the wrestling out because you, you need that. And, and, and trust me, in my career, I never had the wrestling. <laughs> I was I sucked as a wrestler. Right. You know, and I always said that I said, but you know, it was really cool because I had a whole bunch of submissions. But I was never, uh, I never took anybody down. So I just made sure that I was really good on the ground. And if something would come in and reverses the submissions. Uh, but wrestling, yeah. And also maybe back in my head, you know, uh, most of the time when people hurt their knees, are blasting their knees in training, it's always with the wrestling, you know. And uh, there's a lot of injuries coming from that. So maybe that's why I stayed away from it. I have no clue. But uh, yeah. So I would say if he's got good takedowns, but that will be wrestling. But as a jiu-jitsu guy, the real good takedowns, well then, I would say jiu-jitsu because you know if you can take your fighter to the ground, he can be Mike Tyson. That it's going to have a problem. And again, look at Damian Maya, what he's doing.
0: Yeah. Hey, you brought up Tyson. Nothing to do with MMA, but are you in any way excited about the the Roy Jones fight? Is that is that you planning on on plunking down some cash for that, or is oh. not something you're interested in? No, I'm
1: super interested. I've I've been a, a few times at his workouts, um, uh, and man, <laughs> he's he's just still a scary guy. You know, my whole fighting style, my, my, you know, the way I rotate the body and everything that that is completely from Tyson and, and Roman Decker's, you know, the greatest tie boxer mm-hmm. ever, I believe, mm-hmm. and then pound for pound and then Mike Tyson's the hardest puncher, hardest puncher also, and consider, questionably also the best boxer ever, you know, especially when he was in his prime. So, you know, I always love that and the way he can contract his core to twist his upper body. I always tell my students this, you know, he can give you a left up, got left hook and a liver shot. there's like three lefts in a row and you hear pop, pop, pop. And then when you slow-mo it, he will load up for every single strike. And he he has, he found a way to contract his core muscles so explosively. Yeah. That's why he's got that incredible power. So yeah, now I'm, I'm a huge Mike Tyson fan. Also a good guy outside of fighting, you know, the way he talks, he's so honest, you know, and he's so real, when you talk to a guy like that, I just, yeah, I just love it.
0: I've I've listened to his last two interviews on when he's been on Rogan's podcast, and he was on right before uh, they they announced that. He, you know, you started seeing. Oh yeah, I started seeing. He was training with uh, with Cordero from uh, from Shootbox, and and yep. you know, once before those hit, he was on, and he was kind of talking about feeling kind of the itch a little bit, and then he's you know he's back on a couple months ago when he was full on in training, and Rogan was talking about just the incredible difference. And he's like, you're like a caged animal, you know, right now, like, like now that he's in training. So you, you said you've you've been in some of his training sessions. Are you saying for the the Jones fight or do you mean in the past? No, for the Jones fight. Okay. So, so he's, so obviously you can do things with video and you know, there's, it's a, you know, that there's a difference between hitting mitts and, and really, you know, getting in there. Is he looking like, let's say, let's say Tyson was a 10. All right. In comparison, at his height, in compar- comparison to Tyson, at his height as a ten, where would you say he's at right now, just based on what you've seen in the training?
1: Well, you know, that's a weird thing. I say I will be a seven or an eight, but I mean a seven or an eight will, will not <laughs> a out seven or eight Tyson right is now. still a, a
0: monster. <laughs> yeah.
1: That's what I mean. I mean, it's we're talking about a guy who has perfect technique. I mean, you can slow-mo it down. His straight punches are perfect, straight. Everything is. You know, Gus D'Amato did a really good thing with him. He just ingrained it tremendously and so so yeah he's so perfect like i said he can win a world title being a five <laughs> see what i mean Jeez. so but yeah so i would of course need to say we need to see what endurance does and everything but listen in training everything looks great i'm always wondering my head is always you know uh, a day fight day again that's the whole thing you yeah know, is the complex <laughs> back to that animal because yeah, we I- don't look good in training i remember ronda rousey i saw her doing a uh, warm-up in uh, in Brazil. Uh, she won that fight, actually, but she was warming up on the focus mitt, and I said, well, that was nearly perf- perfect, and I'm a very critical guy, but I said right away, that is on the focus mitts. You know, this is not an opponent hitting back. You know, so it's a different story. Now, I've seen him spar also, so uh, no, I, I, I think he's going to be just fine.
0: I, I, one more Tyson question, then I'll let it go. Do you, uh, you know, we are talking about circus fights and all that stuff. You think there's a possibility he comes out and just destroys Jones, and then you know, we start, you know, Anthony Joshua or, you know, Fury or, you know, one of those guys. Is there a chance we see the unbelievable dream, you know, the Rocky scenario and, and him actually fight for another heavyweight title, in your opinion?
1: Well, you know, they always say the first thing that goes is speed, right? I've right. seen some fighters who were getting up in age and who were were past like 50 years old and then they're hitting the folks which come, come for it." And they were telling people they wanted to come for a comeback, uh, comeback. And then I see them hitting the focus mitts and I go, you should not come back. This is good <laughs> right now. You know, it sucks. You know, that unfortunately that is. Tyson doesn't seem to lose anything. Hmm. So I, I don't know. I, I I mean, I, you know, and it's not because of him in awe of him already, but it's just like, you know, he's just still fast. And power, we all know power, you don't lose. It's the last thing you, you go. Know? It's the last thing you lose. So yeah. the speed and the power, it will be there. So, yeah, I think, and, and Roy Jones, I mean, it's not going to be an easy fight. People go like, oh, Mike Dyson, but Roy Jones, he's got some footwork. He's going to stay on the outside, going to try to pick him apart, you know. So, you know, if he beats Roy Jones, I think that's a really good one. And, then, yeah, knowing him, I mean, I, I just put myself in his shoes. So what would I do? Well, if I knock out, if I would knock out Roy Jones, and very convincing, and hopefully like in the third round, and have two or three dominated rounds, and then in the third round, no, not in the first round, one punch is knockout because they still don't know anything. you know. But then for sure, if I would have that myself, yeah, I would go right away for the champions. I mean, let's see if we can make that uh, crazy American dream become reality.
0: Yeah, I, I, man, I, that'd be the biggest heavyweight fight. My, you know, Money-wise, God, that would have to be the biggest, biggest heavyweight fight that they could possibly make is him versus you know, Fury or, or, or Joshua. So, But that'd be insane. Yeah, think, yeah.
1: This point, I, I wonder how many people are gonna buy it because I'm buying it. You know, yeah. I, everybody I, knows Dyson. Think about that. I yeah. mean, you know, any country, any every, every person knows who Mike Tyson is. So there's a lot yeah. of people gonna watch this.
0: Yeah, I think it's gonna be very interesting to see what happens, and then it would be very interesting to see a five ten dynamo taking on a seven footer like Fury or a I think uh Josh was like six seven or something like that. So it'd be I think it'd be a little bit different to see him take on somebody that's got so much reach on him but you know he was usually the shorter fighter so yep. yeah it'd, it'd be interesting um all right so i, I did want to ask a couple questions about you as a as a color commentator uh what, what does it take to be an effective color commentator? i mean for me it, it's great if you're a former fighter because you can insert things that the play-by-play man is just not going to really pick up on is that really important to you do you need that kind of what, what what for you what makes somebody effective on color commentary
1: you know, uh, so many commentators before they start commentating would call me and they say, hey, boss, what is the trick? And I, I never, you know, what I always said was this It's very simple. Treat the people at home as a white belt because, yes, you will. Your friends are watching and they know what to do. But guess what? Ninety five percent of the people who are watching never been in a training. You know, they never worked out. And you have to teach them. if you say we're wrestling oh, run the pipe, you know, you, he's running the pipe. You know, what the fuck is running the pipe? You know, explain to people at home what things are, you know. And and I think that that helps a lot because the most comments, the most great comments that I always got is, "Man, while I listen to you, I learned so much about the sport." And that's literally what I'm doing. That's what I I'm just I'm just teaching, and I consider everybody being a white belt. Too bad for the people who at home say, "Oh yeah, that's logic." that he does that. But again, that is maybe five percent of the people who are watching. So that that's what I always did, and and
0: apparently it works. Yeah, you I mean you're, pretty you're definitely top one or two as far as color commentators go in my opinion but you, you also you have to have a good partner you've worked with some greats on commentary the fight professor morrow you know you've worked with some really great guys kenny rice who's your who's your favorite or who you i don't say who's your favorite because i don't want to put you in that position but who's the who's the best uh, comment whether you worked with them or not who's the best in, in mma history in your opinion
1: well, that's a hard one i think uh morrow and, and and i'm saying this because Mauro started seeing things, submission things, uh, because he was watching the DVDs that I gave him on everything about instructionals. And, and Maro is a workhorse. Maro is never happy with his last show. He will, there's always room for improvement. Maro is always rehearsing. You know, Maro. when you see him read a, a, a script, he's always moving his mouth. It's, it's everything he does is, is, is towards commentating. He is so invested. When people say, oh, he's fake, he's fake. Those are BS people. They're really dumb people. They don't even know who he is. This guy, I mean, he's in his own complete bubble and everything. He, he loves it. He thrives it like the pro wrestling. And I all said this, but the pro wrestling also, you know, they he had to do one show. And I said, well, wait, stop. And it wasn't a set of XS MMA. I said, you're going to do one show. Uh, you're going to do XS TV uh, pro wrestling. Yeah. I said, do you, uh, WWE is going to call you within two months. And you're going to be their announcer. And everybody was laughing. I said, "Mark my, my words? And sure enough, they heard yeah. him. You know, Mauro is one of these guys. He's all, it's like a, a crazy memory. Like Kenny Rice is a crazy memory as well. You know, you, you talk to him and you those are guys when you do an opening of the show, they will never mess up. <laughs> I mean, prompter readings, all this stuff. I mean, they edit it. They've never seen the whole piece on the prompter. And while they're going through it, they're already editing it live. I mean, who can do that? You know, yeah. I can't do that. You know, and then, <laughs> for, for instance, Stephen Quarters, he had a great memory with all fights. You would tell him, say, oh, when fought so-and-so. Huh? So Pele against so, oh, that was that day, this day, boom, boom, boom. And then, he you know, so everybody was on, the, on that card. You see, he had a great memory. So everybody has their own things. But Mauro is always, when he goes into something, is the only thing he does. And he never takes things for granted. And he only wants to be better. He's like, his vocabulary is just bizarre. Oh. <laughs> I mean, he learns every day a new word, you know, and he's been doing that for years. This guy, yeah, it's uh, it's something. But then again, you know, I worked intensely great with uh, with uh, Kenny. Kenny was also one of those guys that you know, he didn't know anything about mixed martial arts when he came into the International Fight League. Fight League, nobody noticed the thing because the way he does it and bring it and he does his homework, you know, he's just very invested as well.
0: Yeah, I I, I mean all those guys are great. I'm not super familiar with Kenny's commentary because I just haven't watched a lot of promotions that 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 he called, but I actually the Strike Force event that I just mentioned was the first Strike Force event that he called alongside Frank Trigg and I was really impressed. I thought he did a really fantastic job and I know that was early on in him getting involved in MMA, which makes it even more impressive. So I, I agree with you on that, but for me it's got to be Morrow. Uh, yeah. I, I think he's the greatest of all time simply for the fact that whether it's pro wrestling it's mma it's boxing it's kickboxing i it it, he does it all fantastically and i and i think he's i think he's amazing yes some people may say he's over the top and it comes across as inauthentic i actually worked with him through frank shamrock for a little while and i got to know him a little bit it's that is who he is like that's (laughs) yep it's completely authentic and so for somebody that you know, it's watched him for a long time and all that stuff. Like I, he's, to me, he's, he's the greatest all around for sure. Yeah. So.
1: I, uh, I, I'm so proud that I put him in the business, you know, because I, uh, I met him in, in Vancouver when I was shooting a show, uh, Holt McCallany, the guy, the lead actor for Mindhunter, he was having a TV show at the time, Freedom Called from Joe Silver. And I was his fight choreographer and I lived there for seven months and, and they found out I was there and they had this beef, B-movie, Z-movie, you know, <laughs> where we had to do uh, commentating for. And they ended Morrow. And Morrow was uh, really overweight at the time. And I met Morrow, but he started talking. I go, and then we, I remember I had a six-page script. And I was going through it, going through it. And Morrow showed up a little late. And he literally reads the script six pages, does it maybe maybe three times. So I'm talking about three minutes, maybe four minutes. And he puts it away say, let's go. I go, you're serious, dude? I say, what? I said, you have it? You, And so I start throwing the lines with him and he had every single line. And I go, dude, this is insanity. So then we start working together and we just clicked. We were commentators in that movie together. And we just, we clicked right away. So after the show, I said to him, I say, hey, give me your number because you never know. Maybe something happens in the future because you should be in commentating, dude. This is show. Yeah, I always wanted to do it. I did Pro West thing and he told me the whole thing. So four years later, they got rid of Stephen Quarros. Uh, and uh, I didn't want to put him on right away because Steven is a friend of mine also, and I thought maybe he's going to think I, I, I replaced him with tomorrow, and I, I didn't mm-hmm. just didn't want to have the feeling. So they got that Damon Perry guy, but didn't work because he had a one-man radio show, and, well, I literally had to put my hand on his mouth during the show <laughs> to make him shut up. <laughs> so, because I saw a submission coming, and he just keeps on talking, you know? So I like, was so crazy, but anyway, then I said, yeah, I think I have a guy, but I don't know if his number still works, and I left him a message, and as he came just out of the crazy house, he was two months inside, he had a real bad episode of his bipolar uh, uh, disorder. Dis- yeah. Disorder, And um, and his mother told him it's on the, the on the machine. So it's this weird guy with a weird accent, that was me. And, and he listened to it. I said, "Marvin this is me, you got to send it a tape to party fighting championship, boom. And they saw the tape, immediately got him. And after the first show, I remember we we're sitting in I, you understand this, right? You're going to be the best commentator on the planet. I guarantee you the first December is coming up. You're going to be the best commentator. Sure enough, first December, he was the number one play-by-play guy. You know? <laughs> so uh, yeah, super stoked that I had to, and he's always at the time, like the first eight, nine years after that, he would call me crying every ta- New Year's. Thank you, boss <laughs> you know? And I go, Mauro, If you would have sucked, I could have never done this. You know, you were yeah. just I just passed it on. You know, because your talent needed to be seen. So uh, yeah, very uh, very happy with that. I was right with that one. Uh,
0: yeah, Maro is just fantastic, and uh, it's still great. I heard him on. He was he commentated one of the boxing events over the, the as we record this over this last weekend. So is I know he's still working and all that stuff. So just it, it was great to hear him. So yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, all right, well, I got. I, you, I, you've given us so much time, I really appreciate it. I wanted to uh, ask one more question, but before we do that, I, I know you have your hands, as we mentioned at the top of the show, you have your hands in a lot of different pies. Anything you want to mention as far as your involve, involvement today that you want to push out there to the, to the listeners?
1: You know, it's, I'm, I'm so stoked about my O2 trainers, a lung training device I came up with when I was 14 years old, and, uh, and, uh, and I started making it about 10 years ago. And this thing, what it's doing right now, the doctors, pulmonologists, the people who treat COPD and asthma patients, you know, they're actually getting it from insurance yeah. now Uh, to buy. I I mean, it's doing really great things and endurance for athletes. My endurance is now the best that it's ever been. I I would say better if I'm 55 years old. I train Mm. twice a week stamina. It's just crazy what it does. It it trains your breathing muscles and nobody, you cannot train those breathing muscles. We we all have about 10 pounds of breathing muscles that people simply don't know of. They train everything else, but they don't train those muscles. And I won't go too deep into it, but this thing right now is doing so well. And uh, I'm so happy because the the amount of people that I'm helping with it. I knew COPD and asthma, that was going to be it because my asthma disappeared within three weeks and I was a severe asthma patient. You have to understand every, I I carried an inhaler with me everywhere I went. All my fights, I needed an inhaler in the dressing room, every single fight of me. So now suddenly after three weeks doing that, suddenly don't use an inhaler anymore. That was an eye opener for me. Sent one to my friend in Holland. He has asthma. Eight days later, he called me. True story, 100%. You can look everything up. And uh, he said, I want to sell them here. I said, what's going on? He says, my asthma has gone. I go, dude, we're onto something, you know? And then I got a connection with the guy who trades four Olympic uh, gold medalists and, and suddenly they realized they were doing it. And now I got published medical journals to back everything up and boom, the things start catching fire. And uh, I think people should really look into it.
0: Okay, and that's available on, I'm actually looking at your website right now, it's bossrooting.com, right in the middle. It says O2 trainer at the top. So uh, listeners can check that out. I know that they can also check you out on Instagram, uh, at boss root and MMA. And then on Twitter, same thing at boss root and MMA. Uh, but yeah, So listeners, make sure you go check that out. Make sure you follow them on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, finally, I want to ask you one final question. We'll let you go in your opinion. What is strike forces place in MMA history? Oof. I know that's, I know that's a big one and it was kind of broad, but kind of where, where do you put, where do you put them as, you know, one, two at the UFC, a little lower, do you kind of, where do you place them as far as their importance, their influence on, on MMA?
1: Well, at the time, did the UFC have 18,000 people at that time? When, uh, where was that actually?
0: Oh, at the time it was, where was that? Uh, it was in San Jose. Uh, it was their very first event. It was in San Jose.
1: And uh, what, what year was that? Was it 2006? Six. Okay. That was just when the UFC started getting big, right? That was the ultimate fight. Yeah, fighter. it was right.
0: Was, yeah. They're coming off the ultimate fighter. They're on a real roll at that point.
1: They're, they're, you know, they're in the MMA uh, uh, Pioneers Hall of Fame, shall we say it, from all over you, uh, you know, there you go. because 100% they have to be in there because he made a big mark. You know, and look at it. I mean, UFC bought bot strike for us. I mean, because it was just that great of a show. Now you see him again in Bellator, you know, Scott is just a really smart guy. He was already, you know, he's kickboxing everything. Uh, before, way before that, I think he started in 80, 80 86. Yeah. Or something. He started, he started
0: in like the mid eighties. He got to do some, some, uh, point karate, like on ESPN and, and just kind we, we actually interviewed him for the, our first episode of the podcast and he kind of dove into all that, but yeah, amazing guy. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: So yeah, so he needs to be mentioned. That's hundred percent. Sure.
0: Well we'll see if uh, that that ever get if, if Tito can get into the UFC Hall of Fame I think anybody can get, can get in regardless of their relationship with Dana so I guess we'll we'll see if that ever happens with Scott probably a long shot but but we'll see but uh boss, I really really appreciate you taking the time to be on the show with us today. It was great we went into a bunch of bunch of areas that I wasn't sure if we would uh, we, we del I never thought we'd be talking about Tyson and and we did but but it was great and and boss thank you for taking the time today.
1: You're very welcome, man. It was it was nice. A uh, uh, memory, uh, memory down to memory lane, right? We, we we talked about things in the past again. To, to relive these moments, it's always cool. All
0: right. I want to thank my very special guest El Wapo Bossrooten. I appreciate him taking the time to join us for this episode, this bonus episode. Hope that you enjoyed it as well. As we record this uh, the U S presidential election is still undecided. So hopefully this was a bit of a respite for you, but I I really enjoyed talking with boss, getting his thoughts on strike force and Fedor and Bob Sapp and Mike Tyson and all that. It it just, I, it was really great for me personally to be able to connect with him and, and talk with him. He's somebody I've wanted to have on the show for a while. And I'm glad that we were able to make that happen. And again, I hope that you've enjoyed that. Hope that you have also subscribed to the show because coming up in just a few days, we are going to be dropping one of our regularly scheduled episodes. It is a conversation with gorgeous George Garcia of MMA Junkie Radio, one of the OGs of MMA journalism, of MMA radio, and he's taking the time to, to talk with us. And he shares some really cool stories. We talk about Force's talent influence on uh, the UFC and Bellator uh, George talks about when he found out about Strikeforce being acquired by UFC, and going back even earlier to the Playboy Mansion show, he was there in person. So it's a really, really good conversation. I, I again love talking with George anytime that I get the chance, and this was this was a good one. So hopefully you are ready for that. Hopefully you have uh, followed us on Twitter and on Instagram at Inside the Hexagon Pod. Uh, you can also reach me at phil at insidethehexagon dot com. But with that, we're going to go ahead and ride off into the sunset. Hope that you're staying safe and you stay healthy. And we'll see you soon.